0: Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show where we share food stories with people who like to eat. We have a very special guest on the show today. We're speaking to pastry all-star Anna McGorman. She's the co-creator of The Cronut, ex-executive pastry chef at the Dynex Group, and now serves as culinary director at Milk Bar, a beloved powerhouse in the dessert world home by Christina Tosi. You've probably or definitely seen their iconic birthday cake truffles and cereal milk soft serve all over your Instagram feed.
1: Anna's done it all from large restaurants to fine dining to bakeries. Stay tuned for stories involving life-changing bonbons and mountains of onions. We'll also chat about Milk Bar's newest project which Hint promises to bring their treats even closer to home. This episode was so so much fun to record and we are so excited to share it with you. Let's dig
0: in. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. So let's dig in. Um, growing up in Philly, what was your experience like? And can you tell us a little bit more about your time growing up?
2: Sure. Um, so I was born and raised right outside in a town called Narberth. Uh, so, you know, youngest of four kids. So got to play around and, and experience a lot of fun, kind of big family, convivial eating, uh, you know, family dinners together. So, um, my mom's originally from, you know, North Philly, my dad's from South Philly. So it's a good combination of the Irish and Italian heritage, people known <laughs> for eating a lot and hanging out and, uh, sometimes, you know, having a, having a couple of beverages. Um, and I always just really loved sitting down and, and having dinner with my family and, you know, definitely cooking was a part of that um, as I was growing up.
0: So I know that Philly is known for its cheesesteak. Do you think that there is a quintessential Philly dessert? Is it the water ice, cannoli?
2: Celebrate the collection. Um, you know, my grandfather was a big uh Briars vanilla ice cream with a hers extra thin pretzel eater. And that was, there's like su- such an ingrained... Ice cream series of memories that I have from when I was a kid that I always really love. That um, I mean, I'm never gonna turn down a water ice, like, that's just that I don't have it in me. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a strong enough person to say no to a water ice, but no, I think you know, Philadelphia obviously has foundation with you know, classic American products because that's where a lot of the first. Uh, the first iterations of something were born. But, you know, I think it's it's wonderful because you can experience not only that classical, but you can experience so much because the city has been uh, so diverse for such a long period of time.
0: So on the topic of sweets, when did you start baking? And when was that aha moment when you are like, I want to become a chef?
2: You know, I, I always grew up baking. You know, there was always someone's birthday. There was always... Cookies for a soccer game that you wanted to bring a snack for. Um, So I definitely got into baking when I was in high school. Um, But, you know, when I kind of first decided I wanted to be a chef, it was kind of this, like, real light bulb moment. I think it was 14, and I was watching CNN at, like, 11 p.m., like normal 14-year-olds. And a woman was standing... um, out, you know, out in a beautiful Vista and she goes, I'm at the CIA, but not the one you think I'm at the Culinary Institute of America. And it's amazing. And it was like, you know, this kind of real aha moment. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a chef. And I walked into my parents' bedroom and was like, I'm going to go to the CIA. And, of course, they were very confused and had no idea what I was talking about. My dad rolled over and was like, she wants to be a spy? Like, what What are you doing? But, you know, i I guess I had never really considered that being a chef was a career that I could go down. And the second that it was like, oh, no, there's a whole – you know, there's a whole – a series of steps that you can take in order to make that a possibility in your life. I was like, "Well, great. Perfect. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do.
0: It's so funny that you say that, um, about the CIA because whenever I talk to my friends who don't really know much about the culinary world, they say, what CIA, they want to become a spy.
2: Yep. Forever and always. They at one point tried to have a food and beverage Institute, quote unquote, that then they called the FBI. And I was like, Now y'all just playing, okay? Just cool it. (laughs) You've gone too far. Um,
1: So I'm curious, what then drew you to pastry? um, And kind of what made you choose that route as opposed to a more savory route?
2: I mean, I initially started cooking um, on the savory side. And, you know, I think that there were were certain moments of... uh, not wanting to butcher meat at you know six o'clock in the morning, that I was like, "There's people out here baking muffins and eating cheesecake, and I'm over here like butchering a skirt steak. This stinks. I don't want to do that." I can't um, believe you. <laughs> yeah, but r- realistically and rationally, um, pastry is r- you know very rooted in specificity and in detail, and I've always really liked that. And cooking is great because it's like, oh great, you don't have this thing, grab this other, put them together, it's going to be new and exciting. But like, I also have to realize that my personality type is both very, you know, wacky and lackadaisical, but also like, I love form and function. But, you know, scheduling and numbers and and coordination and organization is something that I just deeply appreciate. So I think it was a good balancing act for me um, to have that structure that's grounded in pastry, not just on the culinary side. Definitely,
1: it really bridges that gap between kind of the scientific and the artistic, um, which is what I love about it. Um, I, at one point in my life that I wanted to study art and chemistry together, so, and I love to bake, so it kind of all makes sense.
2: Right in there, love yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Anna, you watched the CNN segment, decided to go to culinary school and start working in restaurants. Um, from my personal experience, I've stashed around in a few restaurants here and there. Um, it gets really, really tough. So I'm wondering, was there ever a moment that you kind of was like, ugh, this isn't for me and questioned the path you were on?
2: Plenty of moments of pause, you know? You don't, the first job or jobs I ever had um, or kind of after the summer that I decided I was like okay I'm gonna go be a chef and this whole thing and you know my my parents were really supportive and to their credit like I couldn't have done it without their support but they were like if this is something you truly want we'll help you you know execute against this goal but you need to understand what you're signing up for so I you know I got a list of the top 10 restaurants in Philly I wrote 10 letters and of course you know my My resume at that point was like my cat sitting experience and my, uh, you know, my volunteer uh, work. I went to Quaker school um, uh, at Friends Select, which is on 17th and the Parkway. And we always did a lot of, uh, you know, community outreach and um, service work. So I had had a bunch of volunteer experience, but it was like, oh, I'm like taking people through the lunch line or making bag lunches uh, at Manor, things like that. But my resume had no work experience on it. Um, and I, you know, I was like, hey, can you give me a job? I'm a kid who wants to work. And ended up getting basically an internship at a steakhouse and a job at Fork in Old City. And the the steakhouse internship was was definitely tough and I think about, you know, I basically did one two days a week and one three days a week through that first summer. And my first day at the steakhouse was uh two fifty pound bags of onions put directly in front of me and they said, Oh, you're making onion rings and I was like, Okay but, you know, I, I didn't know how to hold the knife. I didn't know I was just chopping blindly like tears streaming down my face i had no idea what i was doing
0: yeah you must have been like sobbing
2: oh my god oh just i mean i was just in a corner for like six hours being like and then you know and then i think the next day i peeled and deveined like you know 400 shrimp and i'm just standing there being like okay i don't know like just nobody talked to me i don't know what to do um But the, the chef at Fork at the time, he like brought me in for like a real interview and sat me down and said, okay, we're going to pay you, uh, you know, I think it was like 650 at the time. It was like 2001. And he was like, we're going to pay.' was like, no, but I don't, I don't know anything. I can't, you know, I I have no experience. He said, no, because you're going to work hard and that is worth something. And we're going to pay you. And the first day at Fork, You know, he had like a whole thing set up and I can see it like so clearly in my mind that it was like a cutting board and there was red onions and cucumbers and tomatoes. And he said, you're gonna make gazpacho. I don't care how long it takes, but I want you to be proud of it when it's done. And it was like this unbelievable moment of clarification of the choice that I had made because it was like, and sometimes I think if I had only ever gotten that one internship at a steakhouse, like, I probably wouldn't be doing this because I probably would have done it for that one summer and been like, "Well, that stinks." Like, I'm out. I mean, maybe <laughs> you not, want but
0: some more onions. <laughs> yeah,
2: like that's that that ain't it. But the the source of of pride that I had working, you know, at this nice restaurant that then when my family, you know, came in and had dinner and it was, you know, it's like oh, I made that, you know, and it was even if it was just the vinaigrette, it was so powerful to have that, that, you know, reflection and pride in my, you know, in my work.
0: Yeah, you really have that kind of ownership of the dish. Um, So I'm curious, after the CIA and working at a few restaurants, you moved to New York and decided to go work for the renowned restaurant, Danielle. What made you want to work at the highest echelon of fine dining?
2: Danielle was very, uh... Uh, you know, well-renowned um, and and continues to be. It had two Michelin stars I- at you know at the time that I joined the team. Um, and really, you know, I had a foundational experience there where after I graduated culinary school, my dad said, "Hey, like, let's go to New York and and have a meal. Let's celebrate, uh, like, you know, as a as a you know a present for graduating culinary school." And he said, you pick the restaurant, we'll go. And I was like, okay, great, that's amazing. And I chose Danielle. And we, you know, we had this, like, unbelievable dinner. And it was just the two of us. And, you know, it's like, you know, when you have a big family, normally it's like a lot of people going on. It was just like a great activity to have, just my father and I. And, you know, one of the the captains there who was, you know, helping serve us at the table... Um, you know, basically like started giving us a little bit of shit about being Eagles fans because he was a Giants fan. And it was like, we had such a great time because the food was so excellent and it was this like very fine dining atmosphere, but everyone was so joyous and opening and welcoming and, you know, just congratulatory. Oh, you graduate coloring school. Oh, it's amazing. And it was just like, I felt, really comfortable there where normally you know you don't comfort isn't necessarily the the number one feeling you get going into a a super fine dining experience um and the meal ended and after you know eight million courses and all these different things you know they bring over the check and then they bring over uh, a tray of petty fours and bonbons and I took a bite of one of the bonbons on this like glorious little silver tray and it was like the best thing I had ever eaten and it was the tiny milk chocolate lemon verbena bonbon and it was like I had you know at this point in my career I had worked at a bunch of you know nice restaurants I'd had a lot of great eating experiences I you know lived and worked um, for a few months in England at like a very nice restaurant, so it's like I'd eaten nice stuff before, but that like succinctness and quality on something that was free on something that most people didn't care about. most people they just drop a mint and okay, you're out, but it was like you could tell how much they cared about it, even though it. They weren't charging anybody for it. It was just a thing to leave the meal in a beautiful way. And I was like, well, this is it. I got to figure out how to, I mean, eat more of these really was, you know, priority one. But figuring out how to make it and be part of that um, was was just a big moment. So, you know, getting a getting a job there was was always kind of in the back of my mind as a hope of something that I could do, and it's why I, you know, I, I really went after that specific restaurant because, because of that meal and because of you know, something that was often overlooked um, that was dealt with such care.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about fine dining. It's so magical. You have the food, the service, the atmosphere, and the experience there is just unforgettable. So what was it like working at Danielle?
2: You get your mind blown regularly because you're just like, oh, like that just is Danielle Ballou just walking through. Like that like there people come in and, and just have these big moments in their life that you're able to share. It's the same experience that I had had where it was like, this is the meal that I'm having to celebrate graduating college. Or this is the meal that, you know, my 50th wedding anniversary. And working at a restaurant like that means you need to take everything so seriously because you never want to be the person that lets someone down on their, you know, their 25th anniversary or because, the, you know, the birth of their kid, whatever, like... There are these big milestone moments that you uh, that you treat with such care, and you know it it is inflected in every piece of the you know the restaurant's puzzle, and everyone just you know bats at a higher percentage because everybody has to drive each other up and forward. The quality of cooking. Um, Around that time that was happening at Danielle It was just like unbelievable And obviously it showed Because we went from two Michelin stars to three And like had a lot of A lot of positive press And all of these big moments And you know you could just tell That everybody was really Vibing with one another And you know there's like a Weird stat in sports That's hard to quantify But you know some people they're hitting home runs some people they're hitting a lot of rbis some people have a great on base percentage but then there's other people that maybe statistically don't have the best numbers but when they are on the field everyone else plays better and like that's the vibe of just like everybody in the kitchen together and it was like we everybody was pushing one another and you know uh the pastry chef at the time was dominique Ansel, and working underneath him was, was really incredible because it was, you know, raising the waterline for the entire team and making sure that pastry was not the afterthought. Um, cause a lot of restaurants have phenomenal food and then, you know, then they'll give you a couple scoops of ice cream at the end and maybe it's good ice cream, but like, you know, it's not, it's not 17 things with the same laser precision and focus. Um, and, and that, that was certainly not the case at Danielle.
0: Uh, and I think what makes a restaurant so successful is its team. And it sounds like you just really had the dream team.
1: <laughs> you then moved on from Danielle to Dominique Hanzel's bakery. Uh, what was that transition like, you know, moving from the restaurant to working on pastries at a bakery and what, how are the experiences different?
2: I mean, you know, in some ways it was, the most different experience that you could have, and in some ways it was the exact same. Um, because the focus was was always on quality and was always on um, you know, creating the most delicious things. It didn't matter how long it took. you just had to make it right. And it, you know Dominique used to joke all the time it was like, it's my job to make something. it's your job to make it possible. And that it was like okay, like <laughs> we'll figure that out, I guess. But you know, I was the only person from uh from the Danielle team that left with him and trying to make a menu, you know, while the place is under construction and just figuring out what people want and what there's an appetite for, uh, was was certainly you know, a big challenge, but it was like us and a few other people. That was <laughs> certainly a, a, a bonkers experience from start to finish in a good way. Um,
1: what was one of the most exciting creations you got to work on? I mean, obviously the Cronut is <laughs> famous and um, every
2: time I walk by, there's still a line. Cronuts were, were definitely a vibe and it, you know I think no one knew what was it was like stepping on a on a, a bomb of sorts because it was just another Venoiserie item. It was just a thing we were gonna make. You know, we made new we made new breakfast pastry items all the time. And we would, you know, we'd try to, you know, put a little press out for certain things and maybe it was eater, maybe it was whatever. And we were like, okay, Grub Street, we're gonna we're gonna have this thing. Oh, we're gonna make you know, I mean, even the word cronut was a joke because I was like, "Oh, we gotta make these cronuts," and they're like, "Oh, what's that?" And I was like, "Well, it's a croissant donut. That's what we gotta call. We gotta call it cronuts." Like it's, it was, it's you know, it's just like kind of being goofy and and not taking ourselves too seriously, and you know, we we had you know, a, it probably was three inches in Grub Street, and I guess one of the the writers or editors there texted. Dominique, the day before they were supposed to launch. And he said, how many are you planning on making tomorrow? And I was like, I think it was 15. You know what I mean? Like, it was, I don't know. Maybe it was 20. And he was like, you're, you're going to want to make more. And just like, you know, held up his phone. And it was like the traffic on the site had just popped off. And pretty quickly we realized like, oh, there needs to be like some rules because it would become a real psychological like human experiment because somebody would walk in and be like, oh, how many do you have? And be like 38, um, I'll take all of them. And then just anarchy in the line behind him. And you're like, no, 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 that, that, we can't have this. I mean, that's probably one of the
1: first viral, I guess, desserts or like food items that I can remember at least. Um, and I don't know, it's just interesting to try to think like why the cronut inspired that crazy response of all things, you know?
2: um. I think, you know, I'm sure it was a combination of, you know, there's a perfect storm of what it was. And, you know, I think because it wasn't, we weren't trying to have a viral sensation. We were just trying to make a like dope thing that we like to eat. And it was like, oh cool, what do we love? Croissants, what do we love? Like breakfast pastries, what do we love? French and American, you know, pastry combined. And it just so happened that it took off. But I think, you know, or at least I like to believe and hope that there was, um, there was a, you know, a humbleness to it, um, at least in its initial creation and iteration, that it wasn't trying to be anything other than exactly what it was. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: Um, and then from there, you left. Dominique Ansel and went to work back at the DyneX Group, um, but we're curious: how did the opportunity for Milk Bar come along, and what were you kind of looking for in that role?
2: I was actually, you know, visiting my sister one time, and she was like, "Okay, but what would what would a, a an ideal position look like?" And I couldn't really answer it because I'd been doing the same job almost for you know many years. Um, I was like, I think maybe R&D, like maybe there's some, you know, that seems like something that has a little bit more balance, something that has a little bit more, you know, I still wanna be cooking, I still wanna be creative, I still wanna, you know, help support a team, but, you know, maybe not do that at two o'clock in the morning on <laughs> Saturday night. Um, so there was a R&D manager posi- position that was posted um, for Milk Bar and as it turns out the the guy who i ran into who went to friend select the you know the first day at danielle was the uh one of the culinary directors at momofuku so i shot him a text and i was like hey man (laughs) what's up with this job like what's up with milk bar i always obviously knew about milk bar knew about uh christina and had great respect for the company but you know, wanted to wanted to catch a vibe, and he was like, "Oh, okay, all right, I'll introduce you. I'll I'll, I'll set. I'll shoot over an email." Um, and from there, ended up having you know a couple interviews with the team, and um, and met Christina. And you know, I I don't think I've ever had a job interview that didn't feel like a job interview in such a miraculous way because it, you know it just felt like we vibed for a while and you know i think working for a very particular type of chef i'd worked for a lot of uh a lot of men and work in working with and for a woman like the openness and warmth that i experienced in even 45 minutes with her was something that was super uh was super attractive to me as a, as like a human being and as an employee. Um, so when I, when I got a job offer, I was like, huh, yeah, great, <laughs> uh, definitely want to do that. And what
1: is that R&D process like um, for you at Milk Bar and kind of where do you
2: tend to draw inspiration? I mean, Milk Bar is, is so many things to so many different people, but it is truly grounded in in you know positive vibes and nostalgia um you know we have we have so many different ways to touch people's lives which is one of my favorite things about being here because it's like if you come into our storefront and you know crush a cereal milk soft serve like that's gonna be an amazing go-to um but we you know but you can't get a soft serve uh when you, order, when you order online. So we always try to think about all the different ways that people might interact with us, whether it's just treat yourself, come in, you know, grab a little truffle or have a little cookie or have a big moment of like, okay, you're going to have your wedding and we want to have a cake here. So that all of that is, you know, imparted in the R&D process. But you know we're trying to we're trying to make people feel good with with pastry, and you have to start um, a lot of times with a feeling, um, and sometimes sometimes that feeling is grounded in a particular flavor profile. Sometimes it's like, oh, I really love you know this type of pie that I had when I was a kid, or I really love this uh, this very particular like associated memory, or sometimes it's just you know what what do you think of when you think of your mom? What feelings do you get from your mom? Now let's try to figure out how to make a cake or a product um, supportive of that feeling. And hopefully uh, hopefully keep it grounded always and forever in the best tasting thing um, and you know, the highest quality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea of kind of pastry and sweets is so grounded in experience and as this experiential thing, whether it be, you know, the Petit Four or that last truffle um, that you're getting at Danielle or if it's going in for a uh, cereal milk ice cream at Milk Bar, I feel like that kind of runs through. Um, and there are so many, I mean, famous treats at Milk Bar from the cakes, Milk Bar pie, the soft serve. I think the soft serve might be my favorite. Um what is What tends to be the best seller? I
2: feel like they're all best sellers, but has it changed or shifted over the years? Um, You know, like the compost cookie just crushes forever and always. I mean, you took a chocolate chip cookie and turned it on your head and then it was like, okay, I'm going to put graham and pretzels and potato chips and butterscotch and have like the best salty sweet snack is possible. So in my mind, I'm like, I mean... Forever and always. That's that's always a a big a big friend and a big fan. Um, the birthday cake is, you know, I think such a resonant treat for people because it bridges that, um, that nostalgia gap with something that is, you know, curated and really well thought out and and jam packed with flavor and texture in a way that is unique. And certainly, you know, we have seen that as, you know, people have transitioned to a lot of online shopping over the last six months, um, that the birthday cake is is a, a, a good moment and touch point for people. Um, but we also have, you know, a brand new channel, which we've gone into this year, which is grocery stores. And, you know, we're trying to give ourselves room to, to grow and to innovate in all of these different places with all sorts of different flavor profiles. We'll also keep it grounded in the tradition of what people know Milk Bar for.
0: So you mentioned grocery stores. Um, we know that Milk Bar is launching at Target and that'll probably be announced by the time this podcast comes out. So everyone go check that out but we spoke a lot about quality in this episode and how will Milk Bar kind of keep its authenticity as it expands to a wider consumer base? And how do you deal with that quality control while staying true to the Milk Bar brand throughout all this exciting expansion?
2: I mean, I think my favorite thing about the the expansion into grocery stores is because in a way it kind of feels like we're coming home. You know, if you think about the foundation of cereal milk soft serve, it's like that's, that's grounded in Christina, um, you know, early on in her career, going to bodegas and being inspired by the cereal aisle. So it's, you know, it's it's a, a, a wonderful playground that we've experienced um, that, you know, we can reap a lot of great flavor uh, ideas and ingredients from. Um, so, you know, I think it's been... Uh, it's certainly been a challenge, but it's also a great um, experience to, to have Milk Bar be accessible to a lot of different people. Um, you know, I think the goal for our consumer packaged goods line and, and within the grocery is like to bring some fun, to bring some Milk Bar spirit. Even if you can't come and have a, a, a one-on-one you know, personal experience at our brick and mortar storefront, we still want you to be able to have that energy even if it's just a cookie in your purse, I tell people all the time, put a cookie in your purse and invariably or your backpack, whatever invariably hand that to somebody at some point through the day who looks like they're having a tough time and watch that person's day be radically changed because it's because it's the it's the joy of of you know cookies are. Optional, you know, cookies are not about. I need to have my 17 cookies a day. I mean, I might need to have my 17 cookies a day, but um, you know, it's about uh, spirit and and you know, the action of maybe you know, sneaking into the cookie jar. Obviously, you know, birth (laughs) pun, somewhat intended. Um, you know, it's been a, a unbelievable and really, um, uh. Awesome undertaking to to try and innovate and ideate in uh, in a new space, um, but certainly really want um, really want people to be able to to have a nice moment. And obviously, launching in the middle of a pandemic, you know, in Whole Foods in April was. Uh, <laughs> was probably not what we thought that we were going to launch, but if it meant that we were able to show up for people who couldn't come out to a physical storefront or couldn't, you know, wanted to order something online, um, it really, you know, hopefully it helped bring a little bit of joy and levity into what was a pretty tough tough situation for everybody.
1: Uh, Definitely, in a weird way, I mean, You know, poor timing, I guess, for business, but kind of perfect timing in terms of what people were really needing um, and access. Uh, And then, kind of following that um, train of thought, how has your job and day to day been impacted by the pandemic? Have you been doing, you know, recipe tests at home or going into an office um, throughout the past few months?
2: I'm 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 working out of our commissary right now, and I took my you know took my mask and my my bouffant off to have this conversation, but you know, safety is the, the most important thing. So I feel like we really, you know, we were always concerned with food safety and quality and cleanliness, um, but we've been able to to really rely on, on the teams to, to come together. And, um, you know, <laughs> Christina's mom literally hand-sewed masks for the entire company and wow. like okay first of all I, I i this woman is the nicest person alive christina is like the nicest person alive but then you're like oh you meet her mother and she i you understand why christina is the way that she is because she's amazing but like she this you know the she was literally hand sewing masks and writing notes to every single person like hand, like dear anna thank you so much And then she shipped the masks on top of candy so that they smell nice. And I don't think I've seen a bigger flex in 2020 that it's it's, I think, the most, like, smart and wonderful and beautiful things that, you know, we've experienced.
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. Um, So finally to wrap up, if you could turn back the time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell her? And what would you say to students or aspiring pastry chefs wanting
2: to enter this industry? Um, Probably uh, drink more water and stretch if I could go back in time. Um, You know, standing, standing on your feet for 12 to 15 hours a day, six days a week for, you know, two decades, uh, does not do a lot of large favors to your back or knees or feet. So, you know, very granular, uh, physical advice, take care of your body because you can't do anything. Um, you know, this is hand skills. So if you have carpal tunnel, like you're going to, you're going to be in pain. So I think that's my, that's my real talk advice to my past self. Um, but you know, I think the most important thing is when you're starting out in this business is, uh, is not being too closed off about what you expect or what you, uh, what you think you want. Sometimes, you know, you got to get over the hump of, Fear and anxiety and and frustration and um, and all of those pieces when you first start at a new job to to break through into what you can truly learn there. Um, and look, some places will teach you the best way to do something. Some places will teach you everything that you need to know. and then there's a bunch of places that will teach you what not to do. And even that is a great learning experience because by the time, you know, you get to be a manager yourself. You need to know how you want to show up for other people. And it's all about gleaning positive experiences from, you know, past jobs and crystallizing that into, you know, your own your own experience and, and hopefully your own positive, you know, relationships with your own team.
1: And sometimes you have to start out chopping onions and deveining shrimp.
2: Grunt work is... It has value because guess what? You cut two 50-pound bags of onions for a week. You are better at doing it seven days later. You know, I think that sometimes, you know, I had a, (laughs) one of of my jobs when I was in uh, England was I had to shell fresh almonds and I didn't realize what was going to happen until I was started, you know, there's like a, I don't know if you've ever seen a fresh almond, but it's kind of like a fuzzy green thing with, like, a peach pit inside. And then inside of that is the almond. It's pretty much the biggest pain in the tush thing you can do. But you got to crack into it and, you know, get through this thing. And my arms were kind of itchy. And I was like, oh, this is, this, is, this is weird. Maybe it's my jacket. Maybe it's the laundry detergent. And I walked up to the sous chef, like, two hours into it because I had ten cases to do. And I was like, "Is it no- normal?" Oh yeah, it's a cyanide. Excuse me? What are you He was like, "Oh yeah, it's a- that's where cyanide comes from. It comes from-, from almonds." And I was like, "You didn't think you should tell me that?" And of course, I had to do that over the course of a month. So every day I just had a cyanide rash that was, you know, super not chill. But guess what? I could shell an almond pretty quick. So Finally, we wanted to close out with something fun. We have a
1: little speed round of just a few kind of like one-liner questions, say the first thing that comes to mind. Um, So the first one is, what is one kitchen tool you can't live without?
2: Oh man, one kitchen tool I can't live without.
0: Um, microplane. What is your favorite midnight snack or late night
2: restaurant? I mean, late night snack, uh I'd say anything in the Frito-Lay family and or pretzels um I like a little salty snack late night restaurant oh man uh there's a bodega kind of near my house that does fried chicken um and it's just you know you would never know looking just at this bodega that this is some of the best chicken you can get So I really, you go in there, you get a thigh for $1.25. That is, that is some good eating. And I think New York bodega food that is just absolutely crushing it is some of the best late night snacks that you can have.
1: As a New Yorker, I can attest, it's true. (laughs) And then what do you think the most underrated item at Milk Bar is? If you had to pick one.
2: So the corn cookie has its evangelists. But I don't think enough people are out here eating corn cookies because they are so good and also secret life hack if you ever stick it like in the microwave for a few seconds or you stick it in my personal favorite, put it in the toaster oven so it gets like just a little toasty, warm, unbelievably delicious and one of my favorite like go-to snacks because all the i mean all the cookies are amazing cornflake chocolate chip marshmallow is my favorite cookie i, I it's like choosing a, a, amongst your your, your children who's the best but i you know each of them have their very own moments because in my mind like no one's ever said to me you know blueberries and cream cookie is a breakfast cookie but yet in my mind I'm like oh it's you know it's, it feels kind of like a blueberry muffin and again that's a that's a great toaster uh toaster cookie as well but you know corn cookie has this great kind of mid-afternoon I need a little something sweet but it's not too sweet that it's it's a great vibe
0: I'll definitely have to try the toaster oven trick
2: yeah, I think
1: I need to place, like, a big order of milk bar cookies and stick them all in the toaster. Oh, we can get you some stuff. Uh,
0: <laughs> nope. And then, finally, the age-old question, chocolate or
2: vanilla? Um, twisties, 100%. Can't do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have no – if I'm trying to get a soft serve, like, a real, like, Mr. Softie, I'm trying to go Twisties. If under severe duress, I had to pick one, I'd probably go chocolate, but I would say probably I would go milk chocolate rather than dark chocolate, which is like not really the pastry chef answer in me, but it is the nostalgia, like, you know, American vibe in me that because milk chocolate has the vanilla component into it.
1: So you're still getting that twist in there somehow. (laughs) You see it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. And this was just such a fun conversation. No,
2: the absolute pleasure was mine. Really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys. And feel free to come, uh, come hit us up. We eat all the cookies together.
1: That's a wrap on our conversation with Anna McGorman from Milk Bar. Check out Milk Bar on Instagram at Milk Bar Store or MilkBarStore.com for nationwide shipping. And be sure to check out their latest product line at Target. Thank you to Aon Rogers for producing, editing, and mixing the episode, and D-Day for her help on our team.